Uh, so we're in chapter 31 this morning of Genesis. We're going to do the whole chapter, 55 verses. It's a lot, but that's okay. Sometimes you just can't split these things up. So all of chapter 31, Jacob flees from Laban. It says, Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father all, with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted, and if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose, verse 17, and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told, La told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours, and take it. And now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. 
So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent, and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods, and put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. And then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that we may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed." God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And then Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and you today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. And I pray, Lord, that you just speak to us this morning, that your spirit just speak into our hearts um, your words and your teachings, that you just draw us, Lord, closer to you so we can see just how to, uh, you guide us and how you um, protect us and how you're with us in every step that we have to take in our lives for the good and the bad and the ups and the downs of what we do. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that's a lot to read. You know, Eddie and I were talking last week. Eddie's downstairs today. He's down there tackling your kids and my kids. And uh, we were talking last week after service, and we were talking about how we see this picture of of our salvation within the story of Jacob. And if you take the story of Jacob out of Genesis and teach it separately like a standalone series or something, you can use it to teach about our walk with God and our growth as a believer. I mean, starting all the way back from like your former life in the flesh, 
uh, to your new life in Jesus and, and, and all that comes with it as you, as you grow in the Lord, as your faith grows. You know, the day in and the day out struggle uh, with the good and the bad of your walk. And we've seen how God had a plan for Jacob before he was born. Right? While he was still fighting with his brother, while they were trying to kill each other in the womb, uh, you know, she was like, what's going on with these children? And God, God told her exactly what was going on. He had a plan for Jacob from before he was born. He has a plan for you from before you were born. And, uh, and, and well, we've been watching God work that plan out through Jacob's life from when he was a youngster to when he's grown up to when he had to flee his, his parents' house, and now he, he has to flee you know, Laban and go back. We've seen it work out, and we've seen it work out through Jacob, and we've seen it even work out despite Jacob. God's going to see the, the plan through regardless of whether or not Jacob is you know, doing things honorably or whether or not Jacob is deceiving people or whether or not Jacob is doing things in fear or, or whatever. So we've seen Jacob operating in the flesh. We've seen Jacob have a come to Jesus moment when he was at Bethel and he had the vision of the, the stairway coming down from heaven and he realized, Wait, whoa, the God of my fathers is real. He's, he's here with me, right? And uh, when he came to that realization that, that God is with him and he's real, we see Jacob growing in this faith. We've seen Jacob start trusting in the Lord. We've seen his character change and the way he's dealing with people. It's less deceiving, less deception. He's more honorable in the way that he's been dealing with people. I mean, his father-in-law tricked him on his wedding night, and he ended up marrying Leah when he wanted to marry Rachel, and then he married Rachel, and he worked seven years first, but then he agreed to work a seven more, and he didn't try anything, any tomfoolery in there himself, which he might have done earlier in his life. So we've seen his character change. Yeah, I mean, he's still making mistakes. And he's still growing in the Lord. And he doesn't have full and complete knowledge of how the Lord works and how the Lord does anything. Either do you, either do I. We, we learn these things as we walk in faith, following the Lord. It's our sanctification. The Lord, is, the Lord is purifying us and shaping us and molding us as we continue by faith to follow him and walk right, with him. And so we're seeing that in Jacob's life. And he still has things he has to wrestle with God about, literally. Right? That we're not there yet. We're, we're going to get to that point. But so do you and I. We have questions. We always have questions and things that we have to wrestle with God about. Well, what about this? And what about this? Right? So we've seen Jacob's growth continue, and we're going to continue to see it grow as well. As the Lord is guiding him back home here in chapter 31, the Lord is telling him to go back to the land of his father, back to the land of Canaan. Now, one of the ways that the Lord guides is by desires. He will give you a desire to do something. He will give you a desire to do something. Maybe this is a gifting you have, and he'll give you a desire to step out in that gifting. Maybe you're a talented worship leader. He's going to give you a desire to pick up that guitar and stand up front and help us out on Sunday mornings. Right? Maybe you are a talented teacher, and he's going to give you that desire to start teaching. And so one of the things that the way the Lord guides us is by giving us these desires. Now, not all longings and desires that we have within us are from God. Um, Which is why we need discernment. And thankfully we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's Word, which is where we get our discernment from. Right, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, as it tells us in John 16. But God placed a desire in Jacob back in chapter 30 for him to go home. And that was six years previous. 
right? So he worked with the goats and the sheep for six years for Laban before we, what we see here. So six years previous, God had put this desire in his heart to go home. He wanted to go home. It was time for him to go home. Right? And he told Laban, he said, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. And then he worked six years to get to the point where he could leave. But with that, with desire, once we have that desire, another way that God directs us and helps guide us is sometimes by the circumstances in which we are in. And sometimes those are good circumstances and sometimes those are uncomfortable circumstances. And for Jacob here, his present circumstances were uncomfortable, right? They were unbearable, to say the least, because he was decent friends with Laban and the family, when they were all benefiting from what he'd done, when most of what of uh, his hard work, with most of Jacob's hard work, where did all that go to? It went to Laban, right? And Laban's son. So they were all benefiting from Jacob. So he had a decent relationship with them when they were all benefiting from it. But as soon as the Lord started blessing Jacob, because he saw what Laban was up to, as soon as the Lord started blessing Jacob, well, that, those tables turned. Right there. I mean, we saw right here at the beginning of this chapter, it says the sons of Laban said, Jacob's taken all that was our father's, right? He has gained all his wealth by taking it from our father. So it says now Laban did not regard him with favor as he did before. So Laban and, and Jacob are no longer on really good terms, right? Not that they were on great terms to begin with, but they're no longer on, on really good terms. So now the, the circumstances in which Jacob lives his living situation has gotten unbearable. And the Lord tells him, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. And of course, at this point, six years into this now, Jacob's not going to be like, no, maybe I should work here a little longer. I'm not sure I believe yet. He's probably like, yes, okay, I'm ready. Let's pack the bags, get out of here. They don't like me. We're not really on good terms. They're saying all these things. I haven't stolen anything. I've only taken, I mean, that's what he says here. I've only taken what the Lord's given me. Right. But Jacob isn't liked anymore, and, his, and Laban's attitude towards Jacob has gone sour. And, the, and so the, his circumstances have changed, and now he's uncomfortable. The sons of Laban were envy, envying Jacob. They're jealous because you know, he was growing in wealth, and they felt that they deserved it all. That should be theirs by inheritance, right? That should be theirs. James 3.16 tells us, for where jealousy or envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And so that's Laban's side of things. Laban and his sons, there's a lot of, a lot of disorder and a lot of, you know, they, they don't have any th- clean thoughts towards Jacob right now. They're, they're like, well, how can we get rid of him? Probably, right? How can we steal what's his? How can we get it all back? And I'm sure Laban's thinking the same exact thing. He's, he's, he's being blessed way more than I really wanted how this to turn out. So how can I get all this back from him? Right. So Jacob calls his wives out into the field and he tells them the whole story. He lays it all out for them. Hey, this is what's been going on the last six years. This is what the Lord told me. The Lord told me it's time to go. The Lord told me he knew what your father was up to. No matter what your father did, the Lord worked it out for our, our benefit and you know, just lays the entire testimony out in front of his wives. And uh, you know, he changed my wages ten times, etc. You know, and all of this. I mean, you can't and the, the, the thing was, he said, the Lord has seen, and the Lord told him, he said, I've seen what Laban is doing. And that's an encouraging, that, for you that should be encouraging, 
That should be an encouraging thought because the Lord sees. It should be encouraging and maybe scary because the Lord sees everything that's going on. You can't hide anything from the Lord. So he sees what people are planning to do against you. He sees the hearts of, of what maybe people think about you or, or people you work with or friends or family. And he knows what maybe you know, is, is coming, but the Lord is going to protect you. Or the Lord's looking out for you. At the same time, you know, just in your, in, in your own life personally, I mean, there, there are sins that you can hide from your friends and from your family. Uh, but guess what? You can't hide them from the Lord. He sees everything, right? It tells us in Numbers 32, right? I mean, your sin will surely find you out. And it will. And Laban's sin has found him out. And, there's, and all the, you know, that type of stuff. The Lord says, I saw, I see what Laban's doing. I know what he's up to. And, and it's time for you to leave. So, but and Jacob is encouraged but he says, because he said, you know, the Lord doesn't let him harm me. He's not going to let him harm me. It's great. You know, the Lord said he would look out for me. He told me that way back in Bethel. He said he was going to look out for me, and he was going to see me there, and he was going to see me home again, and he has, and he's going to. He's not allowing any harm to come to me. And he says that it's time for us to go, right? And, and another way that the Lord directs us, you know, he directs us through by giving us that desire, and he directs us by the circumstances in which we live and what's going on in our, in our lives, our pre- present uh, circumstances, uh, maybe the uncomfortable circumstances that we are, find ourselves in, especially if he wants us to go somewhere or get out from something. He'll use those uncomfortable circumstances to move us. It's, it's time for you to leave, right? But now the way that he directs us, of course, is by his word, by his direct word. He will just flat out tell you, go, go. And he did. That's what he did to Jacob. He just, uh, you know, the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob and said, hey, time to go, pack your bags. It's time to leave. Take your family and get out of here. He just flat out tells him what to do. And when God speaks to Jacob, as Jacob tells us here in chapter 31, about this, about the Lord appearing to him and the Lord uh, speaking to him, I don't want you to miss how the Lord describes himself to Jacob. I don't want you to miss this because this is important because the Lord will do this with you too. He says... I am the God of Bethel. It's verse 13. Right? He says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. So what's he doing? He's reminding Jacob of who he is. Right? Remember when you first met me? Remember when you were just flat out amazed by what you saw? Because you didn't realize that I was there with you and how great I am? Right? And this is what the Lord does. The Lord reminds Jacob of where they met when they first became, when it first became a personal relationship between God and Jacob. Right? The Lord does the same thing with you. The Lord will remind you of times and places where he did great works for you, where he spoke to you, where he drew you close to him, where he met you in a wonderful way. He's going to remind you of that so you remember exactly who you're talking to. And that he hasn't forgotten about those moments either. You might have forgotten about those moments, but he hasn't. And so he reminds you of them. Remember, I am the God of, right? Remember that day I met you in the garden? Remember that day I walked with you when you were discouraged? Remember that day when I lifted your head up? Remember that day when I blessed you with that? Remember that little gift I sent your way? Did you remember that was from me? Oh, right? Yeah, I'm the God who loves you. 
I'm the God who cares for you. I'm the God who's been walking with you this whole time. Remember? I remember. Okay. Now, do what I say. It's time to go. Right? It's time to go. The same God who met our needs then is reminding you and letting you know who he is so you will understand he's going to meet your needs now. He hasn't changed. Your circumstances might have changed, but he hasn't changed. So he's reminding Jacob that his promises still stand, and he's going to see Jacob back home just as he promised. I am the God of Bethel, where you put up a pillar, and where you worshiped me. Now, Rachel and Leah, of course, over time, they've come to resent their father. And, you know, he, he just re- regards us as foreigners. When they say that he sold them, that's a very kind w- phrase. Because what, sa- what they're actually implying is that their father has prostituted them for his gain. Which is a terrible thought. But this, you know, isn't a great godly family. Right? But he says that they sold them. Our father sold us, and all the money he got from us, he's used for his own gain. We don't have any of it. He spent our entire inheritance. We don't have any money. Any of that inheritance that he does have should be ours anyway for our, for our kids, right? So, you know, and it seems that the Lord has taken his wealth and given it to Jacob, so the wives are like, hey, you have the wealth now, so whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. We're following you. We're going with you, which was ought to be incredibly encouraging for Jacob because I'm pretty sure he wasn't going to leave unless his wives were coming with him, right? Even if this was the only thing that they ever agreed on up to this point in their marriage, they agreed to go with them, and he's like, okay, right? And he didn't waste any time, right? They pack up the household, which was pretty big. This wasn't a small household. They're not going to fit them all in the little Subaru and take off, right? I mean, he packs up the wives and the kids and the livestock and the servants, right, and the camels and the kitchen sink and everything else that they can throw in there, and they set off to go home. You wonder how Laban could catch up with them so quick when he didn't even find out they left until three days after because Laban is like one guy on a turbo camel. And they're, and they're this huge caravan of people. How fast can you go? You, you know, it was a 10-day journey for Jacob and, and his family, and it took Laban, Laban caught up with him in seven days. So he was going much quicker than they were when he realized they were gone. So it says that Jacob drove away, that he left in a hurry with some urgency. And some people will say, well, Jacob should have, you know, he should have been more honest with Laban. He should have waited around until Laban until he could speak to Laban and say, hey, it's time for us to go. God's told me to go. I'm going to leave now. Bye. See you later. Kiss your grandkids goodbye. Um, you know, we'll send you postcards at Christmas and, and stuff like that. But he knew that the, the relationship between he and Laban wasn't that great. And he knew that if he waited around, Laban was probably going to forcefully take his wives and his kids from him and send them away with nothing. So... So yeah, maybe Jacob, I mean, maybe Jacob acted a little fearful and just took off because he knew it was a good moment to leave because Laban wasn't around. And he's like, this is a perfect opportunity. He's not here to stop us. Let's go. Maybe, I mean, and even Jacob himself says, um, yeah, I was scared that you were going to take, you know, my wives from me by force. That's why we, we took off. But, but honestly, it was just the time to go, right? It was just the time to go. And he left with urgency. You can't really blame Jacob for taking off when Laban's not there. 
right? It's like the path of least resistance. Let's not sit here and, and fight this out. Let's just go now while he's gone. All right? He ran to the store. Let's take off. Oh, and by the way, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Uh-oh, right? Jacob doesn't know she did this. Some say that they were fertility gods because the Hebrew word is teraphim, and it means healer, and often that's related to fertility gods. And maybe Rachel's like, I still want more kids. I've had one. I still want more kids. So maybe she took them because they were fertility gods. Jewish tradition says that Rachel took the gods to keep her father from idolatry. That's an honorable, you know, how honorable of her. I don't believe that for a second. But uh, I know that Jewish tradition teaches that. I believe she took them because she wanted them. Of, 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 she knew how important they were to her father. And, and in reality, she had no inheritance from him. And maybe she looked at those and said, well, this is my inheritance right here. These are worth something. I'm taking these, right? <clears throat> maybe she just took them because, you know, not to be negative Nelly about it, but we just can't leave our idols behind, can we? Where we have a, a problem sometimes, uh, surrendering our idols. And uh, so, you know, there are areas in our life that we struggle surrender to surrender completely to God. You know, it's what we do out of fear and flesh. You know, God told Israel, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It's the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> God's serious about that, by the way. All right? You shall have no other gods before me. So, you know, but in our lives we have these areas that we don't surrender. So what other gods do we have before the Lord? And you say, I don't know. I don't have any. I didn't carve any gods. I have no little gods made of wood or stone sitting on my altar, right? <clears throat> or anything. But, it, but anything that you give your heart, your soul, and your mind to ahead of God is something, is a God that you have before him, right? A part of the life that you haven't surrendered yet to God is a God that you have before him. And he doesn't want those there. He wants you fully surrendered to him, right? As it says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Well, that, that word there for money in the Greek isn't, doesn't mean the cash in your, the physical cash in your pocket. It doesn't mean your spare change in the piggy bank. It, it's a, the idea is materialism. That's what Jesus is referring to there, worshiping material things over God. He says you can't worship material things over God. You can't serve both God and then all these material things that you have. <clears throat> you just need to serve God. Because material things are things that we make from our own hands. Right? And as Paul puts it in Acts chapter 17, for example, he says God is not an image that's made by man's hands. It's not who God is. So if you have these material things that you've put in your life that are ahead of God, then those are God's little g. God's little g in front of the one true living God. Right? Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, as it says in Psalms 40, verse 4. Right? Who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Some translations say who serve false gods. But the false gods are a lie. Right? And anything we put ahead of God, thinking that it's more important than God, is a lie. We've fallen for a lie. 
so they take off, and like, you know, Gilead is about 300 miles away, and Jacob's, like I said, it takes Jacob 10 days to get there. And Laban pursues him, and he overtakes him in seven days. And I told you, Laban was hell-bent on revenge, right? He was driving like a turbo camel or something. I mean, he was just just flying down the road as soon as he found out they were gone. And Laban's intentions to Jacob were evil. And it might be, you know, because Laban's all flowery and, you know, trying to, you know, act like he, oh, what did you do? I didn't get a chance to throw you a party. But the truth is, is he wanted to, he was thinking of killing. I mean, he was mad. He wanted to kill Jacob. And if you don't think that he didn't want to kill Jacob, then why did God appear to Laban and say, hey, buddy, where are you going? Who are you going after? Don't you do a thing. Don't you say a thing, good or bad, Jacob. I'm giving you a warning right now. Don't you do it. Right? That's why God appeared to Laban. And Laban understands. Laban's stupid, but he's not stupid enough, right, that he's going to disregard what God said. Even if he doesn't believe in Jacob's God. Right? God appeared to him and said, hey. And he's like, ooh, all right. I guess I'm not going to harm Jacob. Right? So his intentions were evil. Right? And this goes all the way back to the promise that God gave Abraham. Right? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And that applies obviously to Jacob. And that should be encouraging to us. Right? You know, to us, Jesus has said, right, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. Guess what? I have overcome the world. So yes, times are going to be tough, but guess what? You're an overcomer because of your faith in Christ Jesus. So don't fret, don't worry, take heart. I have your back, Jesus tells us. No worries, right? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, is what Jesus tells us. I'm, I'm protecting you. Don't worry, don't fret. So that's encouraging to us. So Laban catches up with him. And immediately, of course, he goes off on Jacob. Why have you deceived me? Why have you tricked me? Right? You took my daughters away like captives with a sword, like, <laughs> like they wouldn't have left willingly. Right? The only way my daughters would have left if you had dragged them out by sword. That's the only way they would have left me. And they're like, uh, no, Dad. <laughs> we left you voluntarily. That's, you know. He, he tries to shame Jacob. I would have thrown you a party. I would have done all this stuff for you. I didn't get to kiss my daughters or my granddaughters or, you know, uh, grandkids. I, I, you know, what have you done? This is terrible. And, of course, his flattery is getting him nowhere. But, but then he throws in that one statement. And he says, listen, it was in, it's in my power to do you harm, right? He's, he's, he's flexing his muscles in front of Jacob. I could, I could puff and puff and blow your house down if I wanted to. However, your God appeared to me in a dream. He told me not to, right? So I'm not going to do it. He didn't, he's not concerned about his daughters or his grandkids. I mean, love is patient. Love is kind. It's, it's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. He's all these things right now. He is, he, I mean, he's prideful. He's arrogant. He's boastful. He's threatening. This isn't how you are if you actually love the people. I mean, if he was really like, oh my goodness, I didn't get to say goodbye to him when he's chasing him down like a great Hallmark movie or something. It's, it wasn't that type of a situation. It's just him flexing his muscles. He can't do anything. He can't act on how he feels because the Lord's already warned him and he's not crossing that line. Right? 
But then we find out the actual truth of why he pursued Jacob to begin with. When he says, well, why did you steal my gods? See, it wasn't about his daughters or kissing his grandkids goodbye. You stole my gods. That's why he's upset. That's why he chased them for seven days. That's why God appeared to him and said, don't you do anything. Right? He was so mad he wanted to hurt Jacob. And probably he would have killed him or, or at least taken back his daughters and kids by force and taken everything that Jacob had. If he, hadn't, if he didn't kill him outright, he would have just taken everything. He probably would have done all that, but God said no. All because why? Because his gods were stolen. Right? And you know, I got to tell you, when it comes to gods with a little g, if you have any of these in your life, it's a terrible thing when your gods can be stolen. I mean, what's the world coming to? If your gods need your support in the sense that you need to hide them or lock them away for safekeeping, well, then you're in trouble. If your gods can be stolen, what kind of gods are they to begin with? And this just illustrates a truth about our walk with the Lord. And one I kind of talked about last week, but we're going to talk about again, which is that the world is fine with you as long as they are benefiting from you in some way. Right? As long as they can take advantage of you, profit from you, they're fine with you. But once they can't take advantage of you anymore, once you leave that situation, once you, in a sense, maybe even confront them about it or stand up for what's true and say, listen, you're not going to... It's like the bully in the schoolyard. Once you stand up to the bully and quit pushing me around, well, then they don't like you much anymore, right? Because what are you doing when you do that? Well, you're threatening their gods, Right? Remember, God's with a little g. Right? Their sinful livelihood, their immorality. Once they feel that is threatened, then their feeling towards you change. Right? You might not be physically taking their gods and running off. Right? I'm going to help them get out of worshiping false gods. I'm going to sneak in the middle of the night, steal all their gods, and then go and bury them you know, somewhere they'll never find them. It's not like you actually physically stole their gods, but you've threatened their gods because you're threatening what they worship, right? So once you threaten their gods, man, their feelings towards you change. The church of Jesus, the world was fine with until that church rose up and said, hey, that's not right. You can't treat people that way. Abortion is wrong. Abortion's murder." And now, guess what? Ooh, church is domestic terrorists, right? What are their gods? Abortion, sexual immorality, sexual identity, gender identity, racial identities, deception, lies, drugs, pedophilia, sex trafficking, sexual whatever, right? Uh, climate change. <laughs> climate change is one of their gods. You name it. Right? If it goes against the word of God, they worship it. And if you threaten that, then you become public enemy number one. How come you're threatening my gods? How come you're taking my gods? We don't want you to take my gods away. Laban didn't like it either. 
It was the real reason he chased them down, because they took his gods away. Right? That's why he wanted to harm Jacob. He wasn't concerned about anything else. He was only concerned about the fact that they took his gods. What am I going to do without my gods? They took them. How about you carve another one? Can't do that. But Jacob speaks the truth to him. He's like, yeah, you know, I was afraid. I did kind of run away because I thought you were going to possibly do exactly what you probably wish you could do right now, which is take your daughters back and take all my belongings and everything. He goes, but I didn't steal your idols. Matter of fact, search our whole camp. And if you find anything that's yours, you bring it here and set it in front and we'll, in front of everybody that's here, we'll work this out right now. He didn't know, of course, that Rachel had stolen the idols. So he allows Laban to search, and he searches everywhere, but he can't find them because Rachel has taken them, and she's put them underneath where she's sitting, and it's that time of the month, and her father comes in, and she's like, I'd get up, Dad, sorry, but it's the time of the month. He's like, oh, no, you stay seated. Don't worry. And he doesn't, he doesn't search under her, of course, and so he never finds the idols. He doesn't know they're there. Jacob doesn't know that they're there. So when he's done and he can't find anything, of course, Jacob lays into him. Now it's Jacob's turn to speak back to Laban after Laban's already, you know, spoken to Jacob. And he's like, what sins have I committed? Seriously, why did you chase me down? I mean, I worked for you faithfully for 20 years, 14 years for your two daughters, six years for the flock. I never complained. I just did the work. I took the loss if there was anything that happened to the flock, even though as a shepherd, it was my right not to. I took that loss. I braved the elements. I was, you know, burning out there in the sun and freezing out there in the winter and whatever. I did this all for you and for your benefit. What, what sins have I committed against you? I haven't done anything. Right? And he tells him the truth. Jacob tells him, he says, you know what's happened? It's happened because God has rendered judgment. He has rebuked you. The world doesn't like to hear that either. I don't want to hear that. God's going God's to bring judgment. No, we don't perfectly fine. God's not going to judge me for this. Right? God's rebuked you, is what Jacob tells him. And of course, Jacob, I mean, Laban can't really argue with that much. <laughs> because God had already met him and told him, don't you do say anything or do anything. God had warned him. So Laban says, you know what? Okay, let's make a covenant together. Right here. Let's just make this covenant. He says, everything's mine, but because I'm generous... <laughs> Right? Let's just make a covenant. I'll let you go with all your stuff, even though it's all mine. So Laban proposes the covenant. Jacob says, well, we should commemorate it by a pillar. So Jacob and his sons build a pillar. Laban calls it the Jagar Saladutha, which means heap of witness or heap of testimony in Aramaic. That's why he says, um, let this pillar uh, be a heap between me and you. So you say, it, it literally means... Um, heap of witness or heap of testimony. Jacob calls this pillar galid, meaning heap of witness in Hebrew. So in a sense, they're both calling it the same thing, but in one in Aramaic and one in Hebrew. Now Laban then says, well, I'm also going to call it Mizbah. Right? Mizbah means watchtower. Have you ever heard of the Mizbah blessing? Has anybody ever heard of it previously? Are you guys aware of that little necklace you can find? for sale in the Christian bookstores or online on Amazon, which is kind of like the, the two hearts side by side or whatever, and they're split in the middle. It's two necklaces. And so you give one to your BFF and you keep the other one, right? And on the, and on that little heart necklace, it has, the, the, has Genesis 31, 49. 
That's the verse that's on it, right? And that verse is, and Mizpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me. They just put this part on. The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. And yeah, there's a lot of verses you can take out of context in the Bible, and they sound really good. The Lord watch between you, me, you and me when we can't be together all the time. Here, you take one half of my heart, and I'll take the other. The Lord watch between us because we can't be together all the time. I, I, don't buy one of those necklaces. <laughs> right? Don't buy, don't purchase the necklace because it has nothing to do with friendship. Absolutely nothing to do with friendship. I'm not sure how anyone ever started producing that necklace and selling it in the stores. The intent of Mizpah is a negative intent. Right? Because Laban and Jacob did not trust each other. They, and they wanted God to watch between them. That's basically what they're saying. Right? Because they, 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 we can't keep an eye on each other what's going to happen. I, you know, you're going to be over there. I'm going to be days away. And, and, you know, we can't keep an eye on each other. So God's going to have to watch over. We don't trust you. You don't trust me. God's going to have to watch over this situation. Laban is like, you know, don't you cross that line? Right? I'm not going to cross that line. Don't worry about it. Right? It, basically, so they put up this pillar and they, and they have this, they, they come with this covenant, but basically what it means is, is that if you come over my side of the line, right, the, this covenant that we've made is void and I'm going to kill you. That's basically what it means, right? If you cross the line, God's going to need to take care of you because I'm going to shoot first and ask questions later. That's what it means. So I, you know, get, go buy that necklace and hand that to someone. I'll keep this half, you keep that half. If you ever cross that line, God's going to kill you. <laughs> See how much they want that necklace after that. <laughs> after that, right? I'm going to shoot to kill. Anyway, after this, we never hear of Laban again. He, he, you know, he, he saw the testimony of the true God. He saw the reality of God in the life of Jacob. He saw the power of God in his blessing and his protection of Jacob. He enjoyed some of the blessings of God through his relationship with Jacob. However, he discontinued on in his idolatry selfishness, seeking material gain over anything else rather than following the true God. He resented Jacob. He became envious of Jacob, right? He became envious and jealous of the blessings that were on Jacob. He ended up with none of that himself because he served a false God, a God that could be stolen and couldn't protect him or help him in any way. Right? He served a God made by human hands, a God that could be stolen. Like I said, God's, guess what? Gods that can be stolen aren't very reliable when it comes to blessing you or helping you or, or anything like that. They can't be trusted. And so the life of Laban is a rarely sober reminder or a warning to, to us about the, the semi-religious. Yet, they're basically fundamentally self-worshipping, self-seeking men and women who are worshiping gods that they made themselves. They're going to get no blessing and protection from those gods. It's not going to help them. Psalms 115 tells us that their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. Right? They have feet, but they do not walk. Right? Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. That's what it tells us in Psalms 115. Isaiah 44.10 said, Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Who would be stupid enough to do that? Laban was. 
See, those who worship false gods, whatever gods they may be, and this is what we're going to end with, they will ultimately face, face the same fate, for example, as the, the prophets of Baal. Remember the prophets of Baal when they went up against Elijah? This is one of my favorite stories. All right. they, they were cha- they, Elijah challenged them to a duel. All right, you want to know who the one and true living God is? Let's have a duel. Let's both build altars, and whoever's God brings you know, fire down from heaven and vanquishes your offering is the one and true living God. If your God does it, that's great. My God does it, great. Right? Let's see who God, whose God does it. You guys go first. Right? So the prophets of Baal, they build their altar and, and they put their sacrifice on it and, you know, and, they, and they, you know, they pray and they plead, come on, burn the sacrifice. Come on, God, burn the sacrifice. Come on, Baal, burn the sacrifice. Let's do it. It says they limped around the altar. It says they cut themselves and cried and they were a bloody mess trying to get Baal to just burn the sacrifice. So it says Elijah starts taunting them, <laughs> right? Shout louder, right? Maybe he's deaf, he can't hear you, right? Either, maybe he actually says this, maybe he's relieving himself. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Maybe your God's off using the bathroom, right? You imagine how happy they were to hear him say that, right? Maybe he's asleep and you need to wake him up. He's taking a nap. Come on, shout louder to your God. And nothing happens, nothing so then Elijah said, okay, fine, it's my turn, right? We'll get back to your God. So he builds his altar and puts the sacrifice on it and then dumps water over it and just soaks the thing, right, to the bone. And then Elijah prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And the Lord answered Fire came straight down from heaven, right? Consumed the burnt offerings, the wood, the stone, the dirt, the dust, the water, the prophets of Baal. (laughs) Also, oops, sorry, guys. And he showed them. Said the people, when they saw that, they were just like, oh, right, you want to talk about a revival? That's when a revival happened right there at that moment, right? Because God had shown who he was. That one true God, right? So, who are you serving? God with a little g? Or the one true living God? Jesus. Because listen, God is never too busy for you. He's never asleep. Right? He's not traveling. He's not off relieving himself. He's not distracted. Right? Jesus isn't the God who can be taken away, stolen, lost. Where did I put Jesus? I can't remember. Did you check under the couch? Right? That's not, that's not Jesus. He isn't a God who can't speak or doesn't see or doesn't listen. He's just the opposite, actually. Right? It tells us in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but yet without sin. That's who Jesus is. He sees you. He hears you. He listens to you. He speaks to you. He speaks to you through, your, through his word. 
He guides you with his spirit. He cares for you. Once you are his, you are always his. You can never be separated from him. He loves you, and he will always be with you. That's the true God, right? He guides you. His light, right, is a light upon, upon your path. He says, hey, whoa, careful there. One step to the side. Let's kind of, okay, come this way. He's concerned about your walk and your relationship with him. You want to know where you're going? You want to see the great things that the Lord's doing and the Lord is prepared for? You want to know the truth? You want to know who you are? You want to know your true identity? Don't worship false gods. Just turn to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you just work this out in our lives, that you just continue to speak to us and show us that you are the one true living God. And that we continue to walk in faith in that in our lives, knowing that you do see us and that you do hear us and that you do walk with us, that you do speak to us through your word, through your spirit, that you guide us and protect us. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we can continue to be a light in the darkness and point people to Jesus and get them away from the false gods that the world's offering them now. So we thank you for this, Lord, and we put this in your hands, and we pray, Lord, that uh, you just continue this week, every day, uh, to draw us closer to you. We just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.